Well, there are uh, lots of religions in the world today. Some of the main ones are Islam or Muslims, or you could probably call them Mohammedans because they really worship Muhammad. You know, they've made up this, this God called Allah and they take whatever Muhammad said as the word for it. Regardless of, it doesn't matter how he lived or, you know, he was a bloodthirsty guy and did some real despicable things. But it really does. It's kind of like the, the Catholic Pope down through the ages. It really didn't matter what they did in real life because they did some despicable things. But you could do no wrong in the eyes of the followers. And that's the way the Islam... And, and people have different views of God. Like the Mormons claim Jesus Christ, but it's a totally different Jesus Christ in the Bible. If I was to say, I know the president, Barack Obama, and he's one of the most conservative, God-fearing constitution-loving men in the world, you'd say, I have no idea who the president is, right? And that's the way people who claim to know Jesus like the, the Mormons do, or claim to know God like the, the Muslims do, they, they have no idea who the real God is. And then there's the Hindus. They have millions of gods. I mean, it's just countless amounts of gods that they've created to worship. And you know, there's a different God for everything you could conceive of. And then there's the Buddhists who don't have, they don't believe in God, in, the, in a God at all. They kind of, they, they worship Buddha who was a, a person, he was a man, and who gave them this idea that, that, that we don't really exist, that none of this is really real. You know, we've just, we're imagining reality. It's all in our minds. And our goal is to surpass that, to go beyond reality somehow and get into the, the ethereal something, you know, you, where you don't really exist as, as matter, where where nothing really exists, where you're in this state of, of mind rather than than being. And so it's that's the the Buddhists. And then there's there's plenty of um, folk religions or animism. Animism is like where you turn other things into gods where you know trees are gods or animals are gods or the earth is a you know like the earth has a spirit, you know, like the, as if the, a planet made of rock and lava could have a, a soul. And that's that. Those kind of religions, and there's of course there's cults that take the word of God and twist it into their own uses, so they can make up whatever rules they want you to follow. And that's like you know Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, where they say we believe in the Bible, but they they retranslate it into something that the Bible doesn't really say. And then there's outright witchcraft and paganism and Satanism and people who purposely worship. You know what we know is evil. I mean, other people try to hide it and make it look like they've got something that's good, and these people just say, you know, we're just going to outright worship the devil. And at the moment, Christianity is the is the largest world religion. There's about 31 percent of the people in the world claim to be Christians. Islam is growing quickly. It's it's gaining ground. There's about 23 percent of people who claim Islam. So depending on whether or not people who say they believe in Jesus actually do what they're told to do and, and start you know, spreading the gospel like we're commanded to do, it could be that Islam will surpass Christianity before Jesus comes. You know, that we, may, we may one day be a Muslim nation if we don't do our jobs. So um, if, you, if you add up all the people who don't claim Christianity, so you know, Buddhists, Muslims, all the all the other religions and and people who don't believe in anything who's you know claim to be atheists or agnostic or whatever there's 69% of the world who doesn't claim Jesus 
and they believe in something else. So the question that raises with a lot of people, if you've, you know, if you've talked to people about this, is why should I believe in your God? Why should I believe in, in Christianity? How do you know that Christianity is right? Why should I trust in the Bible? Because there's plenty of holy books. There's lots of, of religious writings. I shouldn't say holy books. There's one holy book. There's lots of religious writings. And, and people want to know, you know, how is it, you know, and they say different things in the Bible. And so people want to know, is it just, isn't this just another religious book written by other people thousands of years ago? And, and how should it, how could it have anything to do with real life today? You know, this ages old piece of literature. And, and it's amazing to think about how Jesus preached the Bible. I mean, he only had the Old Testament, but how he, he, him and his followers proclaimed the Word of God with boldness. Like we, I, I don't think any of us have ever been quite as bold as, as Jesus and the disciples. Like they had assurance of the truth of God and they were out there pro- declaring it. Jesus purposely spoke out against the religious establishment of his day. Because they were, you know, they had left the Bible. They had started just following their own man-made traditions and they weren't following the Lord in their heart. And so Jesus called them hypocrites for turning what should be real faith into empty tradition. And, and if you remember, he went in, he, I mean, he went into the temple and he turned over the money tables and he started driving people out with a, with an IWD, which is an improvised whipping device. Like he, he came up with a, with a tool to drive people out. And he, he tipped over the tables. I mean, he was purposely stirring up trouble because he was declaring the truth. I mean, he was saying, this is the truth and you guys are not following it. And so he said, you guys got to stop. And, and he was a, you know, the, the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't kill Jesus because he was a, a nice guy or a good teacher. They killed him because he threatened their system. And, and Jesus was a, a, a street preacher right down to the core. I mean, from, from his heart, he preached the truth with, with everything he was. He declared what he knew to be true. And that was the Bible. And the disciples followed after their teacher wholeheartedly. They, they continued to, to stir up trouble with those in power because they still wanted to keep their system where they could keep you know raking in the money and raking in the power. Um, of course, Judas killed himself, so he was out of the picture, but then they got Matthias. And these disciples went out and, and they were arrested and they were beaten and they were threatened with worse. They, they were martyred for their preaching. You know, there was, there were, some of them were beheaded and, and crucified and drawn and quartered. I mean, it was terrible, gruesome torture and death that they went through. They were martyred for preaching. And it's staggering to think about what they went through. John is the only one, the, the Apostle John is the only one who actually lived long enough to die of old age. Everybody else was, was killed. And it's not like they didn't try. It was by the skin of his teeth that he made it to, to old age because they boiled him in oil. I mean, they tortured John too. And, and of course, you know, he was ex- exiled to Patmos, which is where he had the vision that he wrote about in the book of Revelation. Um, so the disciples went through a lot and Jesus went through a lot. Obviously, these people truly believed what they were preaching because nobody sacrifices so much for something they don't believe in so that's an evidence i mean right there is an evidence of of for our faith that these men you know wouldn't go out preaching wouldn't go out dying and and enduring torture for something that they didn't really believe in because the first time somebody you know started 
trying to boil you in oil, you'd say, I'm not, I don't really believe this. I was just kidding. You know, leave me alone. When they tried to hang you on a cross, you'd say, you know, I just made it up. It was this, you know, we wanted to get people to follow us because we wanted to have our own religious system. But they didn't do that. They died for what they believed in. And, and, they were, and, and they died for preaching. It wasn't that they were just Christians. They died because they were taking it out to the world and telling the world, and the world didn't like it. It's no different from today. The world doesn't like it. And, 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 and you know nobody gets beheaded for hiding their faith. You get beheaded because you're proclaiming the Gospel. And that happens today. You know, nobody gets tortured because they have a secret faith in a secret room. You get tortured because you're proclaiming the Gospel and, and turning other people to the Lord, and that's a threat to the systems of the world today. And so the disciples dedicated and sacrificed their lives to proclaim the Word of God. People today do the same thing. I wonder if anyone ever asked the disciples, but how do you know the Bible's true? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they had that discussion, but that happens all the time today. How do you know the Bible is true over all the other books? How would you answer that question if somebody asked you? There, yeah, there, it's faith, true. Yeah, uh, there, there are plenty of evidences for the Bible. I mean, plenty of proofs that, to stand upon when you're talking about Scripture as a, to, to understand the Bible as a reliable book, as a reliable historical document. We've studied a number of amazing prophecies that we've, you know, that you see in Scripture. We went through the book of Daniel and saw how prophecy, hundreds of years before Jesus came, Daniel's prophecy proclaimed the day that he would enter Jerusalem as Messiah. I mean, there's all sorts of the, the virgin birth, the, who Jesus was and how he was born and how he died. I mean, all these things that were prophesied and fulfilled that, that back up the, the validity of Scripture. And, and, you know, all this stuff is fulfilled exactly the way God said it would be. There are all sorts of archaeological evidences that back up the Bible. There has never been an archaeological discovery that refutes the Bible. And I think it's real fun if you've ever, you know, watched Discovery or all those, you know, research sort of stuff. It's always fun to me when somebody talks about how, well, the Bible doesn't really, the Bible talks about something and we haven't found it, so it must not be real. And then they go out exploring and they find what they were talking about that the Bible was talking about and they're you know, proven wrong. And I've seen that happen on, you know, a number of different times. And it's just, you, know, you would think people would catch on. You know, the Bible's real and you're going to keep, if you find something, it's going to back up what the Bible says. And that's what archaeology does. And, 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 and it's, always, it, it's interesting that there's so much in, you know, creation itself declares God. It declares the reality of our Creator. And, and that, that's what Psalm 19 says. Psalm 19 starts off, it says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make Him known. They speak without a sound or word, but their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. So, in, in other words, only a numbskull wouldn't believe in God because you look around at creation and you understand that this didn't get here without a Creator. And, and there's plenty of proof for God. I mean, if you want evidence, it's out there. And, and the, the, when, the, when the Bible talks about something, we have reason for our faith. But as useful as all that evidence is, as useful as all the proofs are, that's not the best tool for defending the faith. The, the, the best proof for the Word is the Word itself. 
In 2 Timothy, that's our scripture for today, chapter 3 starts at verse 14. Paul says, But you must remain faithful to the things that you've been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. So that's what he's talking about. You've been taught the Bible from childhood, so you can trust in that. And and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. So it's not only the, the basis of knowledge and wisdom, it's the basis of of how we live. It's, it tells us this is how you live. This is how you do the good works. This is how you, you, you know, from childhood, you've learned this is God's Word and this is what God says. One of the things to keep in mind when you're talking to people about the Gospel is that really, there's no such thing as an atheist. There really is no... I mean, people claim to be atheists, but they're lying. Everybody knows that God exists. Every person who has ever been born knows that God exists because He's written it on their hearts. And He's written it in the, in, in the skies. The heavens declare it. He's written it in His creation. Everybody knows God. knows that God exists. But when someone chooses to sin, they, they, they have to go against their own conscience. They have to go against what God has written on them, in them. They have to choose to turn their backs on that. We all have God's law written on our hearts, but some people choose to suppress that, to push it back. You know, they hear that voice in their conscience saying, no, that's wrong, don't do it, don't do it. And they say, I'm going to do it anyway. And they have to push that out of their heads and out of their hearts in order to turn their backs on God. Paul says in Romans 1, verse 18, but God shows His anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because He has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and seen the sky through everything God made. They can clearly see His invisible qualities. So you can't see God because He's he's spirit. We don't see Him. But we can see what He made. We can see His fingerprints on everything that exists. And, and And it says we can see His eternal power and His divine nature So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. I mean, that's... This is not a new problem. What we see today has been going on as long as people have been around. They, they want to live their own life. They want to live in wickedness. They want to choose to sin. And in order to do that, they have to push God out. And they make up gods. They create idols. They create their own... You know, They say, I want God to be like this. So they decide, this is what my God is going to be like so that I can live however I want to live and not have to worry about the consequences. Truth is, you, you can't actually create your own God. There's one God. There's only one God. And it doesn't matter what you believe, you can't change that. And, but people don't want to worship God and they don't want to give Him thanks because He requires a certain way of life. The, so the problem is not ignorance. The problem is unbelief. The problem is choosing to turn their backs on God. It's not that they don't know. It's that they choose 
to ignore it. In 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 chapter two of the same book in in First Corinthians or in Romans, it says, uh, verse twelve. It says, when the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed. So this is basically saying the Gentiles back then didn't know they didn't have the scriptures. So it's saying people who don't read the Bible, when somebody who doesn't have the Bible sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. So whether you have the Bible or not, if you break the law, you're going to reap the the punishment for it. And verse 13 says, For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in His sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show us that they know His law when they instinctively obey it. So we've all got this conscience that God writes His law in us and when we instinctively understand the difference between right and wrong and we do what's right, we see, we understand that God has, has written His law on, us, on our hearts. And when we choose to disobey that law, whether we've ever read a Bible or not, when we choose to sin, we're choosing to turn our backs on the obvious God who created everything, and including us. So, verse 14 said, Even Gentiles who do not have God's law, written law show that they know His law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written on their hearts. For their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them what they are doing is right. So God has written a a system inside of us that says, you know this is right or wrong. So you choose to do what's right. If you choose to do what's wrong, then you're on your own. There are plenty of people these days who will willingly ignore the truth. But the sad truth is it's, it's just a sign of the times. The more people that you see choosing to not believe what's real, it's a sign of the times. Second Peter chapter 3, at verse 3 says, Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days there will be scoffers mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of His command. And He brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. And then He used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And it's the same today. People see all that. They know all that is real, but they choose not to believe it. They choose to ignore it. They, they, and, and it says that as the last days come, this is going to happen more and more. And so you see people saying, you know, if your Jesus is real, where is He? Why isn't He coming back? And, and you know, everything has been the same since, since the world began. It's just this, you know, evolution. Everything just happens on its own and nothing's going to change. It's just going to keep on going the way it's always been. We don't have to worry about God. So when you're talking about God or trying to persuade people to believe, it's important to remember Every unbeliever, every sinful person has chosen to reject God. It's not like you're giving them something that they don't know. You're, you're dealing with a hostile witness, you know, and in the stand. And, and so, as one day, God's going to judge all people who refuse to repent of their sins. So, trying to introduce somebody to the salvation of Jesus Christ. A lot of times it's kind of like trying to save a drowning person who's just thrashing about. You've ever heard of that? When, when, you know, some people, when they're drowning, they just, they lose control. They're thrashing, they can't swim, 
and somebody tries to come up and save them and they're fighting the person trying to save them because they've lost all their their reasoning. They just they can't think of anything except they're drowning and, and talking to somebody about Jesus, trying to share the gospel with them is sometimes like that because they don't understand that you're trying to save them. They they think that that you know their mind has gone so dark with sin. And and, and so verse seven that second Peter chapter three says, and by the same word the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire and they are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. And so we go talk to these people because we know judgment is coming. We don't want anybody to die and, and suffer eternity separated from God in hell. We want everybody to be saved. We, we care about people and so we go out and share this word and, and, and you'll hear arguments. I mean, some people, they just need you to talk to them. Some people just need you to say, God wants you to have a new life and they'll say i want i know i need that i i i I understand that and i've just i needed somebody to knock it into my head and they'll and some people will right there say okay how do i do this and they'll go for it other people will just argue and argue and fight and fight and and there's nothing you can do i mean they argue that there's people these days it's common in our culture to talk about you know science is our new god I believe in science as if there's no Christians who believe in science. I mean, it's, science just means knowledge. And so true science is the search for knowledge, is the search to understand. So it doesn't matter what you believe. You can do science. You can be an atheist and do science. You can be a Christian and do science. But there's this argument as if science is something opposite of religion, as if science and Christianity don't mix, which is just silly thinking. Science and Christianity, there are plenty of Christian scientists, not the religion, but scientists who are believers, who believe that God created the world in six days and, and brought about life. You know, He spoke the universe into existence. There are plenty of PhD scientists who, who do research science, who believe in what the Bible says. And, and, but people still, pop culture says, I believe in science because and they don't really know science. They're, you know, they're not researchers. They're not studiers. They just hear what pop culture says that science tells us. And, and so science becomes the new religion. Intellectualism becomes the new religion. You know, as if they're smarter than you because they read something on the internet that, you know, said science has disproved God. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting how much, how the lengths that, that people will go to in order to ignore the truth. But it's really no difference than the different than it was thousands of years ago. This has been this, this problem of people worshiping intellectualism and and facts is is an old thing. We have different technology today, but people who boast about their their intellectuality is you know people who are proud of their philosophy is it's no different than like in Paul's day in in Ephesians chapter four verse seventeen, Paul says, "With the Lord's authority, I say this." Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They've chosen to block this out. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Paul dealt with the intellectuals. Paul dealt with the Greek philosophers who said, we know, you know, we are at the state of the art where science is. And we know the state of the world and we don't believe in your God because we're just too smart for that. And Paul said, you know, they're just, their minds are full of darkness. They've chosen to turn their backs on God and live a sinful life in rebellion against God. 
and, and their minds have gone dark for it, and they have no sense of shame, and they just do, they, they live for lustful pleasure. And you see that in our world today. It's the exact same thing that people, their life is all about their flesh. So it really doesn't matter how much logic you have. You know, you can have a, a PhD yourself. You can know the facts and present the facts. It doesn't matter how many facts you present. People apart from God who have chosen to turn their backs on God and live in rebellion have darkened their minds purposely. They have blocked out the truth and, and they, have, they refuse to accept the real truth. When you get down to the real philosophical and, and, and factual arguments, people have chosen to, to, to not let that in. And the only, real, the only real way to break through that wall of rebellion is the Holy Spirit. We can't do it. We, you can't reach in and change somebody's mind. They have to be touched by the Holy Spirit. You know, God has to say, you know, He has to do the convicting. He has to do the changing of hearts. Our job is not to convert people. Our job is to share the good news of Jesus Christ. It's, it's God who does the transforming. He's the one that actually goes inside their heart and makes a new creation. And so, obviously, we want people to get saved. If you sincerely care about your fellow human beings walking around on the planet, then you don't want anybody to die without the Lord. The, the thought of anybody dying, of anybody dying, your worst enemy, dying in their sin and, and, and suffering eternity in hell, that ought to scare everybody. I mean, that ought to be a, a heartbreaking thought for all of us. To think about the, the, the worst person we know going through that torture. It ought to make us say, I, don't want, I desperately want you to turn your life around because I don't want anybody to have to suffer that. And, but we don't have to stress out about whether we're up for the task. Because when we go out and do what God has told us to do and, and take the gospel to the world, when we go out and we share our testimony and talk about Jesus Christ, we're working in partnership with God. It's not like we're going out by ourselves. We're working with the Creator, and He is the one who does the heavy lifting. We go out in faith and we share the, the Bible, and we trust in God to do the work that, that we can't do. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, at verse 13, it says, When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given unto us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain the spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these, can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. So we, you know, we take the Bible and we go preach God's Word, and we let God do that spiritual work that we can't do. And We need to be biblically literate. It's important that we put as much of God's Scripture in our hearts so that when we talk to people, we can recall His Word so it becomes like second nature. If somebody has a question, we say, well, it, you know, Jesus says this, or the Bible says this. We can tell them the answers to those questions. Of course, it's good to learn about all sorts of subjects, you know, to know about modern science and, and medicine and whatever other kinds of things that people might talk about. God doesn't want blind faith. I mean, He's given us so much evidence so that we can you know, be reassured of what we believe in. The, you know, faith is the evidence of, of what we don't see. The, the, the proof, you know, there, there's things that we, we can't see God. We can't touch Him with our fingers. But there's lots of evidence that God gives us so that our faith is real. And so he doesn't want us to just have blind faith. In, in, in fact, our, our faith, you know, our faith should be reasonable. And I think our faith in God is really the only reasonable choice available. 
when it comes down to it, our, our, our modus operandi, our practice, our, our method should be just to share the plain and simple truth of Jesus. You know, it's good to know all the facts. It's good to have all the evidence to be able to talk with that. But our, our primary goal should be to take the Word of God to people. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it starts off, it says, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan, for I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever, persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you could trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. So Paul, you know, he said, I step aside. Paul was a smart guy. But he said, I'm not using clever arguments. I'm not trying to trick you into believing something that, that I've just made up. You know, people do that all the time. Politicians make up things so that you'll believe them. And Paul said, I'm not going to do that. I just want you to, you know, take it straight from God. God said this. God is real. You accept it or you don't. And, and when you want to defend the Bible, you don't really need to go further than the Bible itself. And Jesus indicated that. If you remember the story of the, of the rich man and Lazarus, when, when Lazarus was this guy who was a beggar and there was this rich man and Lazarus you know, was covered with sores and he just wanted some food, and they both died. And they, they go down to, to the abyss and, and Lazarus is in, in, in like the Hades part and he sees or Lazarus is in with Abraham and the rich man is not. He's over in the Hades part and he sees across this vast chasm and he calls out to Abraham and he says, send him to give me some, just a drop of water on the tip of my tongue. And, and he says, sorry, we can't reach you. You're stuck. And he says, well, please speak to my brothers. I've still got brothers who are alive and, and I don't want them to wind up where I am. Please do something to save them. And um, Abraham said this to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he's here being comforted and you are in anguish. And besides that, there's this great chasm separating us and no one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from there. And then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send, send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. And the rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, they will repent of their own sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone raises from the dead. Which is what Jesus did. I mean, after He told this story, He did it Himself. And there's lots of people, you know, there are, many, there are so many people who I know have heard about Jesus, who, who have been witness to, people that I have shared the Gospel with, who still refuse to turn to God. If someone, Even if someone returns from the dead, they won't listen because they won't listen to the Bible. They won't listen to the plain, clear truth that God already provided to the world. And, and it's not because they, you know, they know something that I don't know or they really thought through everything and they thought, this is the best decision for me. It's not because they actually did a logical process. They might try to convince you of that or convince themselves of that, but it really all comes down to whether they accept what is true or not. And, and, and truth is truth regardless of what anybody believes. What's real is real. 
And, and, and neither personal opinion or public consensus make any difference to that. A, a good question to ask is, how do we know anything is true? How do we know what's real is real? That, that, you know, that the Buddhists don't have it right, that we're all just imagining this, that, every, that the whole universe is just in my mind and you guys don't exist and I really don't exist. This is just um, you know, some mental thing. How do we know that's not real? Well, we're not God. So we can't know everything. Every person has to appeal to a starting point. Everybody has to have an assumption, a presupposition, a worldview that we start from. Some people start from a belief in God, like me and, and hopefully most of you, and some people start from a denial of God. We all have a starting point. We have to make an assumption because we're, we're not God. We don't know everything. So we have to base our beliefs on something. And, and some people... You know, whatever assumptions a person start with becomes the foundation for all the reasoning that they have. You know, whatever your, your presupposition is, everything that you believe is built on that. And, and so every argument you make comes on what you already believe. So a Christian should never forget that our foundation is the Bible, that our foundation is the Word of God. Everything we believe is based on God's Word. And, and, and if we make any other standard our foundation, if we, if we fall for the trick of trying to prove the Bible because of all the outside evidence, I mean, there's lots of great outside evidence, but if that's what we turn to as our foundation, then we reject the authority of the Bible. The Bible is self-attesting. It's, it's self-authenticating. It speaks for itself and defends itself. And even better, it, it passes all its own standards of truth. I mean, it, there's, the Bible is clear. It's accurate. It's, it's been proven over and over again and and it's and it says that you know not only is this the truth that not only is the is the bible the truth but it says it's the test upon which everything else can be tested to see if it's true or not if it if it comports with scripture then you can accept it as truth if it goes against scripture then it's not true no other religious book makes that claim only the bible says this is the truth and you can test all truth against it and so the, the 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 only the word of God can stand alone as truth, and nothing, no other philosophy, no other belief can. Everybody else, everybody in the world who doesn't put their faith in Jesus Christ has to say, "I believe so and so. I believe this. This is what I think. This is my opinion." You know, regardless of what evidence they have, ultimately all that evidence has to come down to their foundation. And what's their foundation? It's that everything came from nothing because there is no God. Or that everything came from some other foreign god that really has no backup. I mean, all the other religious writings don't talk about the truth the way the Bible talks about the truth. So everybody else has that faulty foundation. So no matter what evidence they might have up here, it all comes down to where they stand ultimately. And if they don't stand on the Bible, they don't stand on anything. And so only Christians can say, I know the truth. I know I am right because I'm saying what's in the Bible. Everybody else has to say, I believe. We can claim, I know the truth because I know the one who wrote the truth. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He prayed in, in John 17. He said, he's praying about us. He said, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy 
by your truth. I mean, that was Jesus' prayer, that we would understand that, we'd get that, that this is the truth and that's how we're made holy. Jesus said God's Word is the ultimate judge of truth. In John 12, He said, but all who reject Me and My message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. The Bible states its claim as the ultimate authority for us to stand on. And, and, and Jesus, in uh, John 8.31, Jesus said to the people who believed Him, You are truly My disciples if you remain faithful to My teachings. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So what Jesus said is the truth. And He said that. What I'm telling you is the truth. And if you stand on that, and you remain faithful to that, and you live that out, you're going to be living in the truth. And that's what's going to set you free. Paul said, Titus chapter 1 starts out like this. He says, I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. And now, at just the right time, He has revealed this message which we announce to everyone. It is by the command of God, our Savior, that I have been entrusted with this work for Him. When somebody asks why they should trust the Bible, you know, against all these other religious beliefs and philosophies over any other system, the straight answer is because no other position has any legs to stand on. And, and, and you know, where did we come from? Is If there is no God... Where did we come from? I mean, if you really think about it logically, if you just use plain, simple common sense, nothing doesn't do anything. Nothing is nothing. nothing. You know, something can't come out of nothing. It's impossible to have a big bang. You know, they talk about quantum physics and all that, but even a quantum state is, is not nothing. It's something. So when you truly have nothing, and all, all honest scientists, have to say we came from nothing because you can look at the evidence around and see that there's a, a backwards tick. You know, if you go back in time, it comes to a point where there was nothing. And if you're and if they're honest about it, they have to say we came from absolutely nothing, which is it, ridiculous. I mean, it's so non-scientific that that you know the Big Bang is is an unverifiable distraction. You know, they talk about all the other stuff that came out of the Big Bang, but when you come down to the Big Bang itself, there's no evidence for it. There's no way to... And it's, and it's preposterous to say that everything came from nothing without some sort of outside source or outside power. You know, evolution is an unscientific joke that, that, that life sprang out of non-life, that information was created from non-information, that an information reader, an information system, a language... And, a, and, a, and something to understand the language and take the blueprints that God made and read those blueprints and create, you know, it's the DNA as a blueprint. And, and He created the, the subcontractors to go in and read the blueprints and create the matter that makes us up. Every single cell in your body is more complicated than the space shuttle. Every single cell in your body is, is more like a city with all the little miniature, you know, microscopic components that make up a cell and all the jobs that get done in a cell. It's vastly complex. And to say that came from nothing is preposterous. It's, it's, it's a joke. But what are we if we're not intelligent souls crafted by the capable hands of a wise and powerful Creator? What are we? We're bags of chemicals. How, do, how can we trust in our brains if they just came from randomness? I mean, how can we trust 
when you're doing a scientific exper experiment, you want to be able to repeat it. You want to be able to take the same stuff that you did before and do it over and over and over again. That's what science, you know, that's how the scientific method works. How can you trust one result over the another if you don't trust in the laws of physics, in the laws of, of, of logic to be able to figure, to interpret the physical reality? I mean, if, unless there was a creator who put these laws into order, who set things, who put physics into practice so that we could all be alive, so that the sun would burn and, and the world would spin and, we'd, and water would be wet. I mean, if, if it wasn't for somebody who crafted all this stuff, how could we know anything? We couldn't. It would be impossible. How would we mentally think? I mean, we have memory. And our memory decides you know, what we should... Re we don't remember everything. We remember what's important. So it's like our, our mind figures out what we should remember. and what, There's so many reasons that make not believing in God just a stupid proposition. And, and, and so there's no other... There's no philosophy that has a foundation that it can stand on, ultimately. They might talk about the, all the same evidence that we look at. I mean, we all look at the same evidence, but how we interpret it, it all comes down to our foundation of whether you believe in God or not. It all comes down to that. We all have the same evidence, but it all comes down to whether you believe in God or not. If you don't believe in God, you've got nothing to stand on. You've got no logical position. And so the only truth, the only reality is on is, is based on a belief in God. Our, modern, our, our culture has the same argument that Pilate had. Remember when Jesus went before Pilate he put, and he put Jesus on trial and Pilate said, so are you a king? And Jesus responded, you say I am a king, but actually I was born and came into this world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. So he's saying, I didn't come here with new information. I came to say, this is the truth. And if you, if you comport with reality, you'll understand that what I'm saying is true. And Pilate's argument is, what's truth? And it's the same argument today. That, you know, people say there is no truth. We can't really know anything for sure. I mean, the philosophers will say that. We don't know anything. I disagree. I know something because God wrote it down. This is the truth and I know it. When we get the same question from people today, it's, it's, it's the only good answer, the only right answer is the truth of Scripture. Because nothing is so solid and nothing is so real. We have miracles you know, that, that are attested to by witnesses that, who wrote them down, that what Jesus did and what the prophets did. We have prophecies fulfilled. I mean, we've got evidence. We've, we've got eyewitness accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We've got all the, all the facts and figures and, and evidence that you need for a, a reasonable faith. We've got it in there. And of course, we have the testimony of God Himself about how we are here and why we are here and what our life is all about and how we should live so that we can be a part of His kingdom and be a part of His family. I mean, He, he Himself put that in here so that we can understand this. You don't have to prove the Bible using outside resources. That's silly. To try to say, I'm going to prove the Bible because of all the evidence. You don't have to do that. That's not our job. because that's, that's, you know, It's like trying to build a log cabin without trees. It's like trying to say 2 plus 2 equals 4 without, without using math. It's stupid to, to try to, to say, I'm going to tell you the Bible is true because of all the outside stuff. No, I'm going to tell you the Bible is true because God wrote it down. Because God, who I know, I know God, He's in my heart, He's transformed my life, and He wrote this down, 
And, and all the evidence around us points to it, but the ultimate authority is the Bible itself. We simply follow in the footsteps of our Lord and point people to the only standard of ultimate truth that exists. This is it. There is no other standard. And, and that, you know, aside from God's own testimony, there is no foundation for truth that anybody can stand on. We put our trust in the Bible, not because of the outside evidence, but because we trust in the One who made us and who gave us His Word. And that's why we believe in the Bible. And everything that we believe is based on His Word. That's why we believe what we believe and that's why we live how we live. Ephesians 4 starts out like this. Therefore I, a prisoner, this is Paul, therefore I, a prisoner, serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. So when you're sharing the Gospel and you meet the challenges that you will face when people bring up their questions and their arguments and, and that kind of thing, when you're, when you're explaining the hope that you have within you, like Peter tells us to do, you are rep- remember, you're not doing this by yourself. You are representing the Creator. You are representing the One who made you, who filled you with His Spirit, who, who, who spoke the universe into being. You, you, you are working as, on a team with Him. The One who gave us life from His breath. The One who, who, who brought us our salvation through His own death and resurrection. You are there with Him. He is there with you. So when you go out to share the Gospel, remember that. Don't be afraid because you don't know how to do it. Remember that God is with you. The Creator is the One who, who gave us the truth is there so that we make sure that we get it right. And since no argument can stand against God, we should remember to, to remember where we came from. Remember we all came from the same place. And so we're reaching out to these people with the, with the life-saving truth of Jesus Christ. And we do it with humility. We do it with love. But we do it with boldness because we know God. And we love God. And, and therefore, we know His truth. And that's what we stand on. So that's what I hope you'll keep in mind as you go out there and you share the truth with the people around you. Let's pray. God, we, we are so grateful that You have given us the truth to stand on that we don't have to go out there unsure and, and, and not knowing what we're supposed to do, that You have given us everything we need to be able to live, to be able to, to share Your truth, to be able to honor You. God, we thank You that you have, you've, you've done it all. You've done all the heavy lifting. And all we have to do is just go along for the ride and say what You've told us to say. It's like, it's like the telemarketers who just read the script. we just got to read the script that You take care of the hard work. God, I pray that You would help us to remember that, that we work in partnership with You. I pray that You would be alive in people's hearts, that they would know You. And if there's anybody here who doesn't know You, that they would ask to know You, because that's all they have to do, is to turn their hearts to You, to repent of their sins, and turn their hearts to You, and You will make them new people and come into them and help them to know the truth that will set them free. God, help us to do that. In Your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.